Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. God, what a great day to come, not only for baptisms, but just to be able to come with the saints together and to sing and to be able to come one more time to hear from you. Lord, as we are in this moment, and as we come to hear the word of God preached, there is so much on our hearts, so many things that we have brought into this space, and there are things that could distract us from what you may need to say to us, and there are things that are going on all in our mind and our heart, and the power of the Holy Spirit is able to speak to each one of us and customize the word of God to our very need and to our very mind and heart. And so God, I ask you to speak. God, this is not a moment for men to be impressive with words, but this is a moment for God to speak to his people. And so God, I ask you once again, talk to your people, tell them what they need to hear. And God, we pray that we could rejoice in the celebration of new life, but I pray that for those today that need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make yourself available to them, that you would reveal yourself to them. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. What an exciting day. You know, when my wife and I, we moved here several years ago to start a church, this is why we started the church. We always wanted to start a church for people that weren't in church, or they were tired of church, or they were disillusioned by the church. And so when we do baptisms, it's another sign of people starting their walk again or just starting for the first time with Christ. And so in many ways, baptisms, when we do baptisms, it is a picture of why we exist as a church. One of the things that I mentioned before about city groups, that's the environment where people get together and they're in community together. I wanna encourage you after this, we're gonna talk about our city group sign up. I pray that each one of you get a chance to sign up for a city group if you're gonna journey with us as a church. Another cool thing that's going to happen is during the baptism time, there are people that were instrumental in those folks getting baptized. They're going to be in the pool with them. And we think that's a really cool thing because we want to show that baptism is not just a picture of me, the preacher, doing something in the people's lives, but it's really an opportunity to show how God wants to use all of us. And there are people that he's used for these folks to be baptized. And that's really our heartbeat today, to show you how God truly wants to use all of you. God has designed you to use you. I'll tell you a story. I've told this story before. It always gets better every time I tell it. Um, when I was growing up, I was really fast as a kid. I could always outrun people. And it was funny because I was always a big, thick kid. So no one thought I could outrun them. And I would always tell them, don't let the side handles fool you. I could outrun you, man. And so I was really fast for my size. And we would go, you know, with family members over to different cousins' houses, and, and I couldn't wait to race people. And I would always beat them. I was always fast for my size. I, I loved it. In fact, uh, I was Pastor Rasul. Y'all know Rasul. He, 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 had, to, he had to feel my presence. Uh, he wanted to race me several years ago, and I had to smoke him. And he wanted to race again, and we didn't do it because my knees hurt. But listen, 
I was always fast, and that was my thing. And as I played football, I could always chase down the running back. I could always get to the quarterback. I could always outquick the offensive lineman. That was my thing. God had gifted me with speed. Well, I made it all the way to playing in college football, and as I played college football, I had this incredible opportunity. The Chicago Bears were coming to test people with their speed in the 40-yard dash. I was like, this is no sweat. This is my thing. This is what I do. I'm fast. So here they came onto the field. I remember that day. And I was out there, and I was warming up, and I was stretching, and I was ready. And I remember I got down there. I had this old coach, Coach Fitz. Coach got down there with me, and he, he had this kind of like burly voice. And he said, you ready? And I was like, oh, I'm ready. I was born for this, baby. This is what I do. So I was really excited. Chicago Bears, what they do is they put someone at the 10, the 20, the 30, and the 40-yard line. Coach said, ready, and then he said, go. I ran that day the fastest 10 that anybody ran out of the linemen. I ran the fastest 20, and I ran the fastest 30. I got to the 35, and I can still hear the pop. My hamstring snapped, couldn't move, fell to the ground, skid on the ground. And there I lay, and then, you know, the trainers came. And as they got me back up and I went back to my room, I remember how upset I was. And it plummeted me into this depression. And I was so angry. I thought I was fast. What was all those years for? Why did you even make me dream? Why did I, in middle school, have those posters up? Why did I even dream in the first place? Why did you make me fast? If in the biggest moment to show my speed, I wouldn't be fast anymore. Why did you make me fast? Why did you make me like this? Why did you put me in that position? Why did you give me that opportunity? If in my big moment, I would fail. Why didn't you give me my dream? And it was February 23rd, 1998. I was sitting in my room, and I'd become real depressed. And as I sat there and I contemplated my life, I can remember tangibly that I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, like, like I'm talking to you, the presence of the Lord. I was looking out the window, and I just felt God's presence. And I remember I began to cry. And I was in tears, and I was so broken. And I remember I, was, I literally was on the ground crying and crying and crying because God was revealing something to me. He was revealing something to me about my dreams. He was revealing something to me about my speed, about the way I was made. And what he revealed to me, I want to share with you. What he revealed to me was this. It's not about you. Oh, James. It's not about your speed, baby. It's not about your strength. It's not even about your hard work. It's not about you. My problem was I had a plan and I fit God in it. But the reality is God has a plan and he has fit me in it by his grace. And 
the problem that I had was I did not understand my life in context. I believed that God had gifted me so that I could be on a platform and he would get glory somehow because I was so good at what I did. What I didn't realize was God had created me and designed me to use me however he wanted. Creators have that. They have the rights to use their creation how they design, how they would desire. It is so interesting because when the creation tells the creator that they are more competent, there is a very good chance their life will be off track. And there my life was, off track, confused, not knowing what to do. Oh, no, it's not about you. It's not about your gifts and your talents. That's the tough thing about being in the city. People come here because they have a dream or you have incredible dreams and you know you're good at what you do. And the fact of the matter is you may be great, but your greatness and your potential will never have its maximum impact if you do not submit your full life to God. And so, God that day awakened me to that reality. And I started realizing that God wanted me to preach and to talk to people on my campus. But I was the worst. I was the one that did all the dirt on campus. You didn't come to me to talk to, talk to me about the Lord. That was the last thing you talked to me about. But now I'm talking to people about Jesus. And it was messing people up. But what I've realized when I read the scriptures is that God tends to use unlikely people for impossible projects. He always seems to do that. He'll say, Abraham, here's the deal, Abraham, I'm going to send you to a place. I know you've never heard of it, but I'm going to make you a great nation and send you to a place you've never seen or never heard of. Noah, I want you to build an ark. Oh, you don't know what an ark is? Oh, you've never seen rain? Don't worry about it. I'll give you a plan. I'll give you the design. I'll use you. Oh, Moses, you don't speak well? Well, guess what? You'll be my mouthpiece. Mary, here's the deal. I know you're a teenager. I know you're in the ghetto. I know you live here in Nazareth. I know we're about to have a baby and you have never had sex before. I know that sounds crazy to your husband. I know that's crazy, but that's my plan. I know you're an unlikely person. I know this is an impossible project. But God tends to get maximum glory when people are weak. When people don't sign up. God has a calling on your life. Let me put it a different way. You have an assignment. You have an assignment. You have a specific customized assignment from the Creator God, and your whole life, He has been positioning you for that assignment. And it is contingent upon you to live your life in such a way that you will not only discover that assignment, but you will constantly live a life of obedience so that you can live out your full potential. Now, all of our callings are different. God didn't call me to sing. I sing, but I can't sing, praise God. 
that's not my gifting. That's not what he's called me to do. That's not my assignment. But all assignments are really for one goal. It is to bring glory to God. In other words, all assignments are intended to help people see God more clearly. God's view is distorted. People don't see him accurately. And so our lives are intended to be lived in such a way where people can see God through us. And he wants to put you on display. He wants to use your gifting, your special skills, and put them on display. But I will tell you that as you live a life of obedience, things will become more hard and your projects will get more impossible. There was an impossible project and an unlikely person, and his name was Jonah. Now, I'm going to read for you this scripture, but I need you to understand the depth of what was happening with Jonah. There was an empire. It was called the Syrian Empire. And the Assyrians were this particular group of people. This group of people called the Assyrians were the bad guys. They were the worst of the worst. They killed, they pillaged, they plundered. They were the types of people that when you heard that the Assyrians were coming, you became afraid. So much so that it has been noted that the Assyrians actually would be getting ready to take out a city and many people in the city would actually commit suicide before they came. Now, the Assyrian Empire were such bad boys that when they went into a town, they would rape the women, but then they would rape the daughters too. They would torture them, torture them to the point where everyone would know that they had been there. They would take the men, the prisoners of war, and after taking them, after sacking their villages, they would take them out into the desert, skin them alive. Now understand, think of peeling away an orange and getting down to the core. They would take their skin off, take them out to the desert, and when they took them out to the desert, they would get a hole, put them in the hole, skinned alive, and then put the dirt, get the, get the sand back on top of them. They would leave their heads up so they could breathe just a little bit more to torture them. Then they would cut their tongues out so that then when they were trying to get more water and air, they would be screaming out in pain, drinking their own blood. And these people would die because they were curdling in their own blood and they were thirsty and of exhaustion. Then they would come back and behead them. After beheading them, they would take their heads, make a pyramid of all their heads, and put that in front of the city's doors just to show they were dominant. Now hear this, hear this, hear this scripture. Read the scripture with me in Jonah 1. Hear, hear it. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, the capital city. This is where everybody hung out. He says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. <laughs> if you were Jonah, you would be thinking, why don't you raise up a Ninevite to reach Ninevites? 
Why are you calling me? Why would you want me to go to these evil people? And it is very interesting, even in this text, that one of the things that God gets glory out of is when he has people do cross-cultural ministry. Because one of the greatest things he could have done was have their own raise them up, but you can see the way that Jonah responds. He doesn't want to be around those people. He knows they're evil. And so Jonah has this tension. God has called him to deal with these evil people. And Jonah decides to flee and to go the other way to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was a city about 2,500 miles the opposite direction. It would take you a year to sail from Nineveh to Tarshish. So he just decided, I'm going to go as far away as possible. But isn't this funny? To free from the presence of the Lord. I'm just going to outrun God. Now, there's much I could say about ministry, and there's much I could say about cross-cultural ministry and all those things, but here's just one of the things I just want you to nail down in your mind. Jonah thought he was running his life, but he was really running from God. And part of our thinking is that we are more competent than God to run our own lives. And Jonah here has been given a plan. God says, go here. He gave a specific word, go to the Ninevites. And Jonah felt, I have a better plan. So I'm going to go to Tarshish and run away. It's a crazy thing, God. Isn't he creative? Putting you here with the Ninevites. My wife and I, I tell this story in the backstage pass all the time. My wife and I, one night, I decided I wanted to come to New York City and possibly start a church. And I took a flight to New York City, and I remember walking around thinking, man, this would be amazing. I'd love to do something here in the city. And then I told Tarsha, when I got back, I said, baby, I think we're going to be called to New York City. And she was like, God's still got to tell me that. I'm not sure of that. We have a five-bedroom house, and New Yorkers are New Yorkers. And we were living in Atlanta, and we love sweet tea and Chick-fil-A and the little pickle. We love all that stuff. It was more comfortable in Atlanta. We had a backyard and a a porch, a deck, a full basement. I'm not lying. A two-car garage. And there came a point where... It became pretty clear to both of us God was calling us to New York. Interestingly enough, there was a church two exits away from my house. They met at the theater. The, the, the income would be about $60,000. It was above what I was making at the time. My wife would be able to stay at home. We could keep our house and we could stay around our friends. Everything was shouting comfort. This is it. And yet the church actually hadn't gotten back to me. They were talking to me, but they hadn't gotten back to me. So I was like, oh, that's your will, Lord. They haven't responded to me. That's your will. Your will, because they haven't responded, right? Peep that. I come back from New York City. Why is there an email from these people talking about they want to sit down and now talk about how much I'll make? I was like, oh, you are hilarious, Jesus. (laughs) Now? Now? 
Now, now you're going to start throwing opportunities now? Income, house, two-car garage. Talk about it. It was, it, was, it was there. The tension was there. And then Tarsha, my wife, the same person, she was like, she said, now, baby, if this is the Lord, if, if God has really called us to the city, then no matter how dangerous New York may be, the safest place to be is the will of God. That's the safest place. So that night, I typed up an email saying, thanks, but no thanks. Keyword is typed up. I didn't hit send. I had to just... Woosah, come on, Jesus. I had to be sure. I had to be super sure. Literally, my wife was like, don't put their name, don't even put their name in the, the send area because you don't want to mess it up. And they... So here I am, and I'm like, Lord, if I hit send, our church plant is starting right now. And we, I remember, we just kind of like looked at the button like, okay. We're going from an income to no income. We're going from a city. I grew up in New York, but I had never been to Brooklyn for good reason growing up. Y'all people from Brooklyn know what's up. So I didn't come to Brooklyn. I didn't go to Brooklyn. I didn't know people in Brooklyn. I never took the trains. I didn't know people. I didn't know the bar. I didn't know people. I went from familiarity to being an alien. And yet, if this is God's city, then even if the people are evil, you can still call it great. Notice that in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, God didn't call it an evil city. He called it a great city. He said, oh, that's a great city. Yeah, go to my great city. How can that be a great city? Because it's my city. Those are my streets. No matter how much evil may be defining the narrative of the city, it's still God's city. He is the creator and the designer of the city. And so when you are God's people operating in God's plan and for his purpose, there is a divine confidence and a divine equipping that he gives you in such a way that you can walk into Brooklyn and start a church and see two people come to your Bible study. And those two people invite their friends. And then they invite more friends. And before you know it, you're baptizing people. And then two years later, you're baptizing eight people. But that doesn't happen. That does not happen. That does not happen if I don't hit send. And right now, in your life, God has given you options right now. And some of us are Christians, but we're running. Running from what God, the tough stuff that God has called you to do, the tough and hard people that God has called you to be around. God has called you to be a person of love and to declare his glory. And all you have to do is hit the button and say, I'll go, I'll do it. And he's always working in such a way where people will know his glory. The end game is eight people getting baptized. But my confidence couldn't come in the end of the story because I didn't know it. My confidence had to come to the one who had called me. He is my refuge. Oh, if we knew the context of our assignment every time, we would do everything. 
if we knew the end game. But in between what God says and our obedience, right there, that gap is maturity. Let me say that another way. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Let me say that another way. If you want to see how mature you are, think about what God is telling you to do and how long it takes you to do it. And that lag time is how mature you are. See, when God says, when, God, when, you, when you sense that God has given you a word to stop, don't go there anymore. Oh, don't say that anymore. Oh, love those people. But go right over there. The lag time is an indication of maturity. And yet, it's not, I'm not here today to belittle where you are because we are all immature. And we're all growing. And we all have lag time, praise God. But God is calling you to be a blessing to other people. Your life is not about you. It's really not about you. It's really not about you. In the scriptures here, Jonah is awakened to the reality that God was doing something. If you look here in verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. In verse 5 it says, Then the mariners, or the sailors, were, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Each one of them cried out to his God. So interesting. One of the reasons why we are not more upfront about our faith is that we presume that people aren't deeply spiritual. Everyone is deeply spiritual. Everyone has a divine element where they long to know God. The Bible says that God has placed eternity into every man's heart. So there is a question of eternity. There's a question of life and death going on in everyone. And everyone is a worshiper. Everyone has deep spiritual longings. Everyone wants meaning and purpose. We are not animals where we can just get up every day, eat, sleep, drink, and then just wake up and do it again. We're not robots. We're not lions or tigers. We are humans and we must have purpose. We must know that there's something more. And oftentimes when you see people's passion, what you're really seeing is worship. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I was in a coffee shop one day, and uh, this was during the political season, which we're still in, but during the, um, the uh, primaries. And uh, Democrats, you know, they were, they were here, and this is a very Democratic town, of course. And... Uh, I was across the street, and this dude had, you know, Bernie Sanders stuff all over him. And, uh, you know, he just was like, hey, man, hey, you know, are you voting? I was like, you know, I'm not really sure. You know, he's like, you know, Bernie is going to help get the 1% to pay up. I was like, it's cool. He's like, but you don't understand. There's been a lot of things going on in this country we don't know about. Bernie's going to unfold it. He's going to reveal it. I was like, okay, all right. He's like, man, I just got to tell you, man, Bernie, if he gets into office, he's going to change everything. Now, praise God he was feeling the burn. That was wonderful. And this is not meant to be political. But the passion he was speaking to me with was evangelism. 
he was trying to get me to understand his good news. Man, I've been at concerts. I've watched concerts. Um, I was watching this Michael Jackson concert years ago. And um, I promise you, there was like a 50-year-old dude up there, and he had his hands up. But he didn't have his hands up like regular hands. He had that tilt. You know that tilt I'm talking about? That worship tilt, like when you go like that? He had that tilt, and he's up there, and he's like this. And I'm like, is he? And then so he's up there. But I could understand if Mike was you know, singing a song about love. But Mike is up there like, mama say, mama sa, mama makusa. And he's like, mama say, mama sa. And he's going through. He's going. He's having a moment. And I was like, this dude, there's something more than this song happening. And what I'm saying is, he can't help but worship. And when sometimes when we go to poetry readings, sometimes they feel like sermon-esques. They, they feel like many sermons because they, we feel this passion. There is something inside everyone that feels like life should be working differently, that there are problems. In fact, you could start every gospel presentation with saying, things aren't going the way they should be, huh? And most people would, would, would agree. And so one of the things that we have to understand, people want God. They've just replaced him. They've replaced him with something they can see and touch and feel. And so we'll turn it into a political party or ideology or person. We'll turn it into a musician or an entertainer. We'll turn it into our family. We'll turn it into something, but we have to worship. We have to worship. We have to have passionate, we have to feel passionate about something. We can't just go through life. And so these people are crying out to God. And the problem is, when they cry out to God, it's a, it's a cry of fear. Their prayers are filled with fear. If you look in uh, verse 14, Jonah ends up telling them that he is a Hebrew, and the reason why the storm is happening is because of him. And so... Jonah says the solution would be to throw me in the water. And the guys don't know what to do. So in verse 14, they, it says, verse 14, it says, therefore they called out to the Lord, meaning they're now talking to his God, to Jonah's God. And hear their prayer. They said, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on his innocent blood for you, oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So crazy. Their prayer is a prayer of fear. God, don't hurt us. And the reality is, the further people get away from the true God, the more they have a fear of him, but not like reverential fear, like fear like, oh man, don't hurt me. These people aren't praying to a heavenly father they love. They're praying to a God that could hurt them, a God that would destroy them, a God they don't understand and they don't know. Part of my, one of the things I, I enjoy doing when I talk to people about the Lord, one of the things I like doing is just everybody likes prayer. So I say, hey, what can I pray for you for? I'm going to be honest with you. If I could keep a running log of prayer requests throughout my years of ministry, 
Grandma and traveling mercies are covered. They're all covered. Because that's generally the request I get. And what people are telling me is, listen, I believe that God is only useful when I'm in an extreme condition. Like my grandma is sick and I'm traveling far places and I need God then. But outside of having an extreme condition in my life, God is no longer useful. And when people treat God like that, when they bargain in God that way, there's no way they can see the fullness of who he is. They only see him useful based upon their given circumstance, based upon the fact that they are afraid. Well, one of the things that we see here is that Jonah awakens them to the reality of who he is later on. But one of the ways that they interact with him is in verse 6. In verse 6, it reads this way. The captain came down and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God you have will give, us a, give a thought to us that we may not perish. This right here might be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. One of the things he says is, if you have a God, why aren't you talking to him right now? Why are you in the basement of the ship sleeping? Jonah was so caught up in his own stuff, he had forgotten about other people. Jonah was so wrapped up in his own issues that he wasn't able to extend compassion to others. Jonah was depressed that his life hadn't worked the way he thought. And so he wasn't on mission, loving other people. And the captain says, why aren't you praying? Why aren't you doing anything? Why are you asleep? And this is probably one of the biggest indictments on the church. Isn't that what people say? Where's the church? Why isn't the church involved? Sometimes we do surveys. People say, why isn't the church doing anything now? Church is into infighting. But why aren't they doing anything? Why aren't they active? And here lays our friend Jonah, sleep at the wheel. If we have the living God, and if we know him personally, why aren't we more involved with the problems of the world? Notice the story. The ship is breaking apart, and Jonah is asleep. They are crying out, and Jonah is disconnected. But the fact of the matter is, we are in many ways like that. Because oftentimes, we don't want to get involved with the messiness of people's lives. But we have the living God. And in many ways, we are like Jonah. As people are struggling through life, we go down into the basement and we sleep away to our own issues. In essence, we say, I'm too caught up in my own problems to deal with yours. And Jonah, Jonah has a storm sent his way. But God, I think about that. I think about how the political parties have divided the church. 
I think that's one of the saddest things happening today. I think about how we are not focused on the issues in people's lives, but we are actually focused on a political person. Like, like this, whoever we vote for, we won't get tired of in four years. I think about that, and I think about how much it breaks the heart of God. We have a God, and God has sent us into people's lives to bless them and to love them and to care for them. And yet we're wrapped up in our own issues way too much. The scripture goes on. Here, in verse 14, when you hear them pray, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay on us his innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done that, done as it pleased you. In verse 15, I don't know if we have it up there, it says, so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and ceased from his raging. You know, the story of Jesus is one of intercession. They hurl Jonah into the sea, and the problem gets fixed. And the picture of Jesus is that he hurls his life onto the cross, and our problem becomes fixed. And that is our entryway into a relationship with God. And so part of our problem is that we believe our relationship with God is private. And so we don't want to get caught up in the lives of others too much. But I can tell you this, and I can guarantee you this. The Christian life is personal, but it is definitely not private. God has called us to be people who put our relationship on the forefront so that the world would see that he is the living God, and that he is real. And part of the challenge that we have is that there's a tension in our mind. Um, protein is very beneficial for the body. If you ever have a protein shake or if you eat meat, you tell someone you're sitting next to on your job, you know, if you eat eggs or egg whites, there's some good protein in that. If you take out the yolk, it takes out the cholesterol. That's a fact. That's what you call primary truth. But when it comes to like music, I like hip hop, you like jazz. And that's kind of like preferred reality. I don't want to mess with you if you don't like hip-hop because if you don't like hip-hop, I don't want to get into your, you know, your, your musical genre and all that. You do you. I do me. But with protein and telling someone the benefits of protein, we don't say you do you and I do me. We say this is the truth. This is good for you, and I hope, I hope you take more of it. It's not something you prefer. In our culture today, we have turned God in to a preferred truth, meaning you do you, and I do me, and you figure out God on your own. And yet, if you look at the way that these men prayed, they called him Lord, Lord 
meaning that he is over all. And if he is Lord, if God is truly God and Christ is Lord, then he is Lord of all. But let me tell you, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He is sovereign over all lives. And we are called to be people, to love this city and to care for this city and to intercede for it. Today, as we have these folks come and they get baptized, I pray that you would one day have an opportunity to share with someone and have that person be able to have their life renewed in Christ. I pray that you could be in the water with someone one day. I pray that you would have your own opportunity. But I pray that you would get on mission for God, that you would love this great city, this city called New York. I pray that you would not become cynical. I pray that you would not get so deep into your own issues and into your own life that you would forget about others. God has saved you to use you. And the only way that you will continue in that is if you live a life of love and obedience and walking in the word of God. God has placed you in your neighborhood. God has placed you in your ethnicity. God has placed you in your job. God has placed you in your family. God has placed you with your friends. God has placed you in that gym. God has placed you in that coffee shop. God has placed you around those folks that you say you can't stand. God has placed you there. Your life is not chaotic. Your life has been planned. And God has placed you around people that he is longing to show his love for. And I pray that you would live a life in such a way that people would see the love of God through you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that as we have our baptisms, we pray, God, we pray, God, that during this time, we pray, Jesus, that you would just speak. God, we thank you that there is this moment, a great moment, God, where these folks' lives are becoming renewed and for many of them are new and Lord I pray that as they come up out that water Holy Spirit I pray that you would remind them of how much they are loved Holy Spirit I pray that you would just shower down in this time I pray your blessing over these eight folks and I pray God that they would be encouraged spurred on to love and good deeds we ask all this in Jesus name we pray amen We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.